We are one week away from the NFL draft. We are here once again. Let's talk some safety class, boys and girls. Let's hit it. What's up, boys and girls? Welcome to the Gold Zone, presented to you by Game On Wisconsin. I'm your host. I'm Jacob Westendorf. I am live in the Game On Wisconsin studios, joined as always by my partner in crime, Jacob Morley. Jake, it's one week away. I, I liken this to Christmas. That's why we call it Draftmas, right? So how do you feel one week away from the biggest draft the Packers have had since the year they got Gary and Savage. Cause they had the two first round picks. It's yeah. And it's like one of those things where like, we're at that point where you try not to think about it that much, but it's also all I, all we talk about. So it's tough not to think about it because there are still people that want to hear uh, and want to be, you know, want to have that conversation, but because you want it to get here quicker because right now, man, it is, it is the dog days of, the draft because nothing there's nothing new under the sun right now nothing anything anyone throws out there any name anyone throws out there it's probably already been talked about it's probably already been hashed out there's no sleepers sleepers don't exist anymore nobody is coming in being slick saying well have you have you heard of this guy yeah most of us probably have you know so like any especially with those first two first round picks like there is no name that we haven't kind of gone through this scenario with. And with that said, they'll probably pick someone next week that we're like, oh, we didn't really think we didn't really go through that scenario because they have done that in the past. Like that was Rashawn Gary to a T, which looking back on it, it was very much like, duh. But then when they made that pick, people were kind of confused. Like I didn't think they would take Rashawn Gary. Uh, but they did. So uh, I don't know who that guy might be for this year's draft class. Someone that inexplicably falls could be, uh, but I'm just excited for it to be here. I, I think Jake, we're like probably in the same point where it's like, I just want to know who it is at this point. I just want to know who is going to be the next guy to wear green and gold for, for this team. Yeah, I'm I'm there and I'm there on a lot of things. Like I'm literally arguing on Twitter right now about Aiden Hutchinson, which should be like a slam dunk at this point that he's the number one overall pick, but he may not be because Trent Balky's dumb. And that's you know, that's long beyond the point. Aiden Hutchinson's not gonna be a Green Bay Packer. He was never going to be, unless something really, really bad happened during the season. And thankfully it didn't. But the I'm with you on that. You know, you get to this point. I will say this. And this year is kind of a weird year to have a take like this one, but I am, I know a lot of people say, Oh, I hate the draft process. I hate how it goes from, you know, March until, you know, all the way into the end of April or that one year where we went into May or anything like that. And it's just like, yeah, I understand that. But do you know how many stupid, like fake trade, like in June, there are so many fake trade, like when Odell Beckham was uh, still with the giants and even with the Browns, Oh, should Green Bay trade for Odell Beckham? It's like, that's just not something that usually happens at this point 
in the year. And this year, again, like I said, this year, maybe not the best year to have a take like that just because of all the drama that's surrounding the drafts. And I'll get to that here in just a minute, but I'm ready for it to be here. Who are they picking at 22? Who are they picking at 28 or, you know, other picks? Are they moving up? Are they doing some other stuff? I don't know. It remains to be seen how we're going to do on a lot of these different things with the draft. But the bit of news from today, Jeff Darlington reports, Debo Samuel has asked for a trade. And we actually joked with our, he's our future guest as of right now, Eric Crocker last week and asked him if he was going to be okay regarding that Debo Samuel had scrubbed his social media page. And Crocker said last week, it's not nothing. You know, anybody who ever says that's nothing, especially this day and age, it's not nothing. Turns out it is not nothing. Debo Samuel has asked the 49ers to trade him to which the question then comes of, Oh, there you go. The draft has had a three week traffic nightmare in the heart of Las Vegas. And that does matter. I think that does matter. At least I believe it matters. Uh, but Debo Samuel has asked for a trade and that leads to the question of, okay, well, will Green Bay be involved? Uh, the short answer to that question is yes, they will call. Um, the issue that you run into obviously is on, on the internet, Twitter GMs think it's as simple as, well, I made this offer and they accepted it. Like it's not that simple and it never is like if San Francisco doesn't want to trade him to Green Bay, but there's two sides to this, right? Nobody's trading for Debo Samuel without a contract extension. Like if the Jets, what's up, JJ? It's been a minute. If the Jets trade for him, just for example, but Debo says, I won't sign a contract there. I'll sign a contract if you trade me to Green Bay, just to throw them out there as an example. Then the Jets will pull their offer, and that's how that'll work. And then by then, you've gotten to the point of no return where you have to trade him. And you have to trade him at that point to Green Bay because that's where he's going to be. It's the same thing. Tyreek Hill had the same situation, right? Tyreek Hill was traded from the from the Chiefs, and then it was said that he had a choice basically between the Jets and the Dolphins. He wanted to sign with the Dolphins. So the Chiefs traded him to the Dolphins because it was the same thing. They weren't going to trade for Tyreek Hill without an extension. That's where it is. Now, I asked this question. Well, Jake, let me before I get to the question that I asked earlier today on Twitter, I do want to get – just your take on this situation. How how embarrassing is it for Golden Boy Kyle Shanahan to even let it get to this point with his star receiver? It's about the people. It's about the people, man. It's you know, it's not about the contract. It's it's not about you know winning and losing or the fact that they took. I mean, they took another receiver two years ago. It's not about in the Brandon first round, Knight. and they traded up for in him. the first round. Traded up for a guy. It's not about that. It's not about the respect. It's about the people, you know, and he's not being treated like uh, he, he thinks he should be treated. No, that's obviously a play on the fact that the Packers get more scrutinized for that than any other team ever would. But, uh, you know, the the what's interesting about it is I think Debo kind of has an interesting point that he has been kind of hammering home. And he's probably looking at it, you know, like, hey, I've I've been in the league for three years. I've had some injuries. I've been dinged up and I've been carrying the ball like a running back. Play me like a wide receiver. I want to play for 10 years. I want to get two contracts. I don't want to just be a guy that's on the league when he's 27 because my body is just failing me because you're asking me to run the ball between the tackles. You know, and so like he's in a weird spot because you can view that as, well, Debo, that's where you're best. So why don't you just go be a team player? 
and do that because that's your best usage. But he's probably, I mean, he he's looking at it from a business perspective. We talk about making business decisions all the time on the football field. Debo's making one right now. He's saying, yeah, to cut you here, just like think about it this way. So for Packers fans, use a Packers example. It's the Elton Jenkins argument, right? Like Elton Jenkins is going to say, I played tackle, pay me like a tackle. Debo Samuel's doing the same thing. He's saying, I want to be paid like a wide receiver. So pay me like a wide receiver and play me at wide receiver. I would push back a little bit on saying like he needs that usage to be as effective as he is. I certainly think that might be the best way for him to be used where he's just kind of used all over the formation like that. And he takes a random handoff or two every so often, you know, plays in the backfield, I guess, similar to the way that Randall Cobb did in, in green Bay this past year. But I think that Debo is just fine as like a regular, I had this conversation with somebody earlier today and they were like, well, I don't want another gimmick receiver in green Bay. I'm like, that's not what Debo Samuel is. He's very good at, at the receiver stuff too like the reason he got drafted where he did is because he's a receiver that is i mean people talk about oh Traylon burks is debo he's no he's not debo was a really good route runner coming out of college Traylon is not like he he does some of the stuff that debo can do with the ball in his hands but his ability to get that ball in his hands consistently is gonna fall a lot on the scheme as opposed to just being able to get open like Debo can. Uh, I remember Here's Debo a stat that I've got for you, too. We've got Debo Samuel, second in the league in receiving 882 yards before the Niners made him a part-time running back in week 10. He had six rushes in that time span, three 150-yard uh, uh, receiving performances. So that's from uh, Patrick Doherty. You can follow him on Twitter, at RotoPat. But the rushing part, it matters, but it – it's like not the only way that he's valuable. I'm not, I know I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but there's proof in that pudding, right? There's, <laughs> there's actual numbers to back up me just saying like, no, he doesn't need to be that. Can he do that stuff for you? Sure. And I think if green Bay were to trade for him, I think that's something they would have to, you know, tread lightly with on him a little bit, but I think green Bay should use him in those ways, but he can absolutely be a number one receiver on the team. But Jake, go on. You were talking about him at the senior bowl. I was just going to say, he just absolutely looked phenomenal at the senior bowl when he, I, I was there live that year and he was by far and away the best receiver and he just was a stud man just a stud and you look back and you wonder how he went in the second round and how he dropped because receivers tend to do that maybe a little nugget there for Packers fans hoping for a certain receiver um, but yeah, re receivers can drop in this draft, but we're not talking about receivers today, Jacob. We're not talking about Debo Samuel. We're talking about a safety class that is maybe one of the deeper classes in this year's draft class. And I know the joke has been, uh, the joke has been the Packers don't need a safety because they have to. Well, it's a sneaky need. It is a sneaky need, and we're going to get into that tonight. I'm talking about guys that may be able to come in and uh, play right away for this team more than you might expect. Yeah. Um, what? Uh, who was it? Who's the guy? Henry Black. I forgot his name. That's how important he was last year. Uh, Henry Black was – he played over 300 – just about 300 snaps this past year. That's a need, and he's not here anymore. Uh, Brandon Snyder checking in. Bucks in six. That's two games too many for the current series that they're going to be in. The Bucks will beat the Bulls in four. With apologies to 
Ross Uglum, Aaron Alice, Norman Gratz, some other guys I know they're Bulls fans, but those are the first three uh, who came to mind. But yeah, that's that's Bucks and four uh, for for that particular one. Were the Bucks going to win the title again? I don't know. Ask me in a couple weeks. But uh, that's that's not why we're talking either. Uh, like you mentioned, Jake, we've got a safety class that that has some interesting prospects to it. Um, and before we get to that, I did want to ask you one more question, just really quickly. There's four receivers that have been thought of to be available, whether they're actually available, who the hell knows? This is why I hate the, like I said, you know, a couple of weeks ago on the show, somebody had asked, Oh, why haven't the Packers traded for DK Metcalf yet? It's like, well, maybe Seattle doesn't want to trade him. Like that's certainly possible. <laughs> they have to agree to trade him over there. But so Debo Samuel, Terry McLaurin, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown. Those four receivers have at least been whispered to potentially be available. Rank those four guys for me just really quickly. And assume uh, they're worth their they cost the same price. The price I gave earlier was pick one or 28 and pick 140. So a first and a fourth. So I I four hours ago I would have said Debo because I would say, hey, in Matt LaFleur's offense, I want him in that hybrid role, the wide receiver type running back. Uh, but now that he's coming out and saying like, Hey, I want to strictly only be a wide receiver. I would put him at two. I would put AJ Brown as the number one guy I would want in this offense. Um, just because what he's able to do as, you know, strictly as a receiver, I think he's a little bit more advanced. He's been healthier as well. Um, and I think he is equally as much of a dog with the ball in his hands when he has it in his hands Two would be Debo. Uh, just because of all the things that we've seen with him in San Francisco, familiar with the offense, uh, would be able to step in here from day one and probably have a pretty good understanding of what is expected of him just from the receiver position where he's a really damn good receiver. Um, third would be DK. Uh, DK would be an awesome fit in this offense as well. There's your, there's is your deep threat, your big play type guy. Um, he maybe doesn't do the intermediate stuff as well as D, uh, Debo and AJ. That's why he'd be my third. And then Scary Terry would be my fourth pick. Um, if he is my, my option, just because, um, he's older, he's kind of sneaky old, uh, compared to those other guys. And if I'm going to be paying someone big time contract money, I want someone that probably still in that, like that 25 year old range. D, uh, scared, uh, Terry's going to be 27 this next year. Uh, so that would be why he's my fourth, uh, awesome deep threat as well. And you, all four of those guys, like you rank those four guys, but they're all guys that would immediately make this team better. And they are all guys that. If the price is right, I'd pull, I'm pulling the trigger. And I think a lot of people like Terry McLaurin because it's perceived that he would probably be the cheapest guy to bring in, which if that's the case, that's my favorite receiver. And I'll say that with uh, with that asterisk, whichever one would be the cheapest as far as draft capital and contract. That's who I want because all four of those guys are awesome. Yeah, my favorite part of putting out that poll earlier was I put at the bottom – don't be a loser and say none. And I've still got people saying none. I'm like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, the whole point of this yeah. is to, we're having fun. That's the point of it. So please just have a little bit of fun. And I think that mine is backwards from, maybe not completely backwards, but from yours, I had Terry first, AJ second, Debo third, DK fourth. I just, I think DK could still get better. I just think he's more athlete than football player, even still at this stage of his career. Is that something that can change? Certainly. I just don't know if that's something that, that is going to mesh well as well with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, maybe it will, maybe it won't. I don't know. And maybe I'm putting too much stock into that as somebody that won't be here for, for much longer. That's certainly possible too. Um, 
but yeah, I had, I had McLaurin first and I think he's, uh, he's the top guy, but I'm with you. This was assuming they were all the same price. If one of those four guys doesn't cost a first round pick trade for that one, because the difference is I wouldn't want to trade in a vacuum. I don't want to trade a first round pick for any of those guys anyways, because I'm with you on a lot of things, Jake. And that is that wide receivers don't drive wins. And there's so many of them. The best receiver in football last year, most productive one was Cooper cup. He was third round pick afterthought. Like just, I mean, and he was really good and in a perfect fit. And I'm not saying just draft a receiver in the third round. That's not what I'm saying, but there's just so many guys. And that's why, you know, when we talk about green Bay's first round picks at that position and everything like that, it's just not as big of a deal, but that's my take. Well, one more thing about receiver too. I think what history has shown us is you don't need to spend a first round pick on receiver. The Packers seem like their hands are tied right now and and need to, and and that might be the case And, and that's their own doing, but History would tell us that, and the example I brought up was Jerry Judy and John Mechie the third. Like, was Judy a better prospect than Mechie? Yeah, like he was. But like history would tell us that John Mechie is, even though he doesn't check all the same boxes that Judy did coming out, and he has the ACL, he can be 90% of what Judy is. And that's kind of where you get into that opportunity cost type deal where it's like, well, then wouldn't I rather have, wouldn't I actually rather have the guy that's cheaper if he's going to do almost everything and I don't have to spend a first round pick on him, I can get him in the third, that's the late second. So I think that's kind of like where I'm at with the wide receivers as well. And that's like someone just mentioned Jamison Williams. He, he is really the only guy in my opinion that has the game-breaking, field-tilting type of ability in this draft class. And what I mean by that is a guy that is going to maybe be worth that that notch above. And I think he doesn't tear his ACL. I think he is by far and away wide receiver one in this class because he has the game-breaking, terrifying speed that, you know, I love George Pickens. He's my wide receiver one. I love Drake London. Uh, he's close to my wide receiver one. I think those guys are going to be really, really awesome receivers. But I just think Jamison Williams is has the ability within him to be special, to be a special, special dude. I think the other guys can be really, really good. Um, but that's kind of why it's like, man, this, this wide receiver class is weird because there are guys all over the place that you can look at and you can look to and say, well, what do we want? Do we want someone that can come in early or do we want someone that – is going to be potentially special. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. That it will. And we'll welcome our guest here just fresh off of his own podcast. And we were talking about Debo Samuel Crocky. Are, are you okay? Is it It's going to be okay. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how this whole thing kind of shakes out, man. But it's all hitting us all at once. I feel like the 49ers, they just can't have nice things. You had DeForest Buckner, a terrific interior defense alignment. You trade him away. Now you have Debo Samuel. He gets his first All-Pro, first team All-Pro, and is like, uh, I don't want to play for you anymore. <laughs> so uh, I don't know exactly what sparked this whole thing, but clearly he's a little disgruntled. Yeah, well, what well, sure I why either, I think but. what well I think what, it, what we're seeing though, and correct me if I'm wrong here, like it does this, and honestly, Eric, this kind of reminds me a little bit of to a much lesser degree the Aaron Rodgers stuff last year, where it's like, 
well, what do you want? What's wrong? Like, do you want money? No, I don't want money. Well, what's the matter? You know, like, what do we need to do to make you happy? And it seems like the stuff that's kind of starting to come to the surface is he doesn't really want to take the beating that he's taking in San Francisco. Is that, is that something that seems valid? I mean, as a guy that's like, Hey, I want to be able to play 10, 12 years in this league. And if you're going to play me, if you're going to give me 70 carries a year at running back, I'm just looking at it from a business perspective. Like my body's not going to last as long. You know, I mean, I think that's the easy answer for him, but like that's an easy fix. So it can't be that simple. Hey, I don't want to be beaten up the way you've been running me. All right, we won't run you as much. Yeah. Okay, what's the issue now? So I think it's definitely deeper than that. What exactly it is, I don't know. The fact that he says, you know, well, won't talk about it or or whatever was reported. Maybe quarterback situation. Maybe he really likes Jimmy Garoppolo and he's not as high on Trey Lance. I I don't know. he played well with Trey Lance in the two and a half games. He had over 200 yards, scored four touchdowns, you know? So, like, it's not like his numbers took a hit. I mean, he played extremely well just in two and a half games with Lance. So, I, it could be that. It could be he just loves Jimmy Garoppolo and everything. He's kind of went to bat for him uh, in the media. But I think everyone else knows what Jimmy Garoppolo is except for maybe Debo Samuel. So, it's about the people. It, it really is. It's about, about, about the people. people. It really, I gotta tell you, listen, this is a lot. It's a lot more fun when it's not our team. That this I was is just gonna say, <laughs> listening to you, listening to you talk about it, and trying to like wrap your mind around like what, what's the matter? Like Debo, what is the matter? Tell us. It really does remind me of being a Packers fan for the last <laughs> fourteen months. Like what? What do you <laughs> <Yeah>. want? <laughs> I don't know. And then, and then for know. the nobody answer knows. to be like, yeah, nobody knows. Or it's like, did you did you demand a trade? Well, like, no, I just don't want to come back. Okay, so so what what is it? So someone reported originally, like I just spoke with uh Debo Samuel. Like I just spoke with him. He said he has requested a trade. And then Debo Samuel, like a couple hours later, comes out and says, Oh, these reporters can create these stories, but the only people that know what's going on is me, my agent, and the 49ers. So, like, did you not talk to the reporter that is you know? People really value what this guy says. Like, you didn't speak to him at all and allude to the fact that you want to trade and that this trade uh, that he wants has been on it. Like, he told them, like, over a week ago. And that's not just the one reporter reporting it. Maybe everybody's on it now, but uh, Adam Schefter reported it. Yeah, Ian Rappaport, he talked about it. Like, I don't think it's a secret. Like, so did you not request a trade? I, I don't know. It's... It's, it's a wild, man. And we talked his about it last week, out. right? His yeah, brother, his brother had that. Yesterday and was like, yeah, we're going to request a trade. And people are like, what? Yeah, right. And then all of a sudden today, you know, it comes out. I, I don't know, man. I don't well, know. We, we talked about it last week, right? We talked about it with his social media. And like I said this at the top, you were like, it's not nothing. Like, I know that's weird and it's stupid to like lean into stuff like that, or at least it feels like it is, but it's not nothing. And right. very clearly it's not. So, we got a lot to go before uh, the draft is a week away. You would imagine there's some kind of resolution like that uh, in that situation between, you know, now and, and the end of the draft. Maybe not, but I would imagine that is that ends up being the case. But we'll see. We got a long way to go before that. Let's talk safeties. That's the topic of conversation here tonight. And let's start at the top of the class. So I was mentioning at the front, Henry Black played about 300 snaps last year as that overhang uh third safety type defender and, and Croc. I know Joe Barry, not quite the same as Rex Ryan, but a similar ish 
kind of system, just that kind of role in the Packers defense or a defense like that one. How important is a guy like that who is not your starting safety, but your third guy comes in nickel dime type situations and plays in situations like that? Just how important is a guy like that to a defense similar to this one? You know, I think it depends on the coach. So if the coach values that guy, then he's very important. I remember being around uh, Rex Ryan and kind of the different things he did with a third or even fourth safety, safety sometimes. He had, he actually had a position where he called it like the X. And that guy would just come in and he kind of be able to play freely, right? And he was like a third or, or fourth safety slash defensive back that was on the field. So, you know, I think all, you know, different coaches have these different philosophies, for how they want to execute uh, certain guys. And, you know, if it's it's all about the coach pretty much. Like, what's his view on that? Like, 49ers, they now have more of a need for third safety because, well, they have Jimmy Ward in a man situation. They put him down the slot. He'll play man on a receiver or a tight end, right? So you really need that next safety. But for a while, 49ers didn't do a whole lot of that. So they just have two safeties out there and they'd be fine with that. But the difference in kind of philosophies with the coaches made a third safety more important. So I think from that standpoint, it just, it just depends on the coach. Okay. So talking about some of the guys at the top of this class, then you look at some of the names that are, been, let's start with Kyle Hamilton. Uh, let's start there. And I, I will let you know that Todd, I will not be acknowledging this. Um, just there is no acknowledgement on your your trade request. So, no. And I'm taking the Brian Gutekunst approach with Aaron Rodgers. No. There you go, Todd. I just compared you to Aaron Rodgers. How's that feel? Let's look, let's start with Kyle Hamilton. A guy who's like some people's boards have him as like the best player in the class, the whole class. Aiden Hutchinson, Evan Neal, Ike Ekwanu, name your guy. Say Kyle Hamilton's the best player in this class. Other people are like, "Hey, he might have ran like a 4-7 at his pro day and and that's problematic." So where do you fall on that line of like top three player in the class versus like no way you can take this dude in the top 15? You want to have this healthy balance between film and testing. The tough thing with testing is that kind of shows where a guy's guy is and how maybe his athleticism translates to the next level. So watching Kyle Hamilton run, you know, he's playing too, too high and he runs all the way across the field and gets an interception on the sideline. Was that because maybe a lack of uh, decisiveness with the quarterback or was it because he's just that special of an athlete, you know? So those are things you have to try to wrap your head around, especially when you see plays like that. And it shows like this great range. I think overall he is a good football player. That That's for sure. Now, how does he translate to this kind of newer wide open NFL being that tall, how, tall, how long, how well does he cover in space and how good is his change of direction? I think if there's anything that might kind of hinder him a little bit, it's it's that as long as he is, and if he is as slow as he tested, which four five nine at the combine, not bad. Even though everybody expected him to run faster than that, and then four seven four seven four slash four seven zero at his pro day, that's not ideal, right? Like, you don't want to see that on paper. So now it's like, all right, like what version are we getting? Did he make all these plays because of the competition that he played against? So he was able to do that. I think those are a lot of questions that teams are going to have to ask. But I know for me, a longer guy like that and not quite as athletic, and if you get to the NFL where quarterbacks are much more decisive, is he going to be able to consistently play with a high-end anticipation to maybe, you know, 
cover up some of his deficiencies from an athletic standpoint, uh, you have to that that's something you're gonna have to project and not on this. So I'm I'm not down on him. I think he's a, a good football player, but I don't think I could take him like top ten. And I think that that's kind of where I'm at with him too, because with him, that was kind of the that was the bill of sale, right? Is like he is he's someone that you're gonna be able to take and play him anywhere because he's this long, athletic, instinctive instinctive guy. But then when you test like that, it's like, well, can can you play him in single high? I don't think so. So, so you then, could probably still play him in single high if his anticipation is great, but that's it's again, it's it's a little bit more of a projection, right? Like how right. much and how how often was he put in that situation? And again, again, you you still have to tie in like who is he playing against? What, what, like how good was the timing? Because you get to the NFL, everything happens so much faster. Yeah. Everything. I mean, it's bang, bang, bang. Like the quarterback drops out, ball is out. Everybody has a much stronger arm than a lot of quarterbacks you faced in college, and the ball is on these receivers right away. The receivers are all much craftier with setting up routes and things like that. How does that affect you if you ask him to play more man coverage? Like, it, it's easy to kind of see it. Oh, at Notre Dame, man, he made these plays. But going to the next level, and then you see that lack of athleticism. And if you plug that into, like, an analytical database, I'm pretty sure it would spit out something along the lines of a, a safety that's this big, but he ran this slow, probably doesn't translate well to the NFL. Right. That, that's probably what you would see come out of it. And that's and that was the big appeal, right? It's like, well, he's versatile; he can play anywhere. But then it's like, but, but if he can't, then what's the, then what is really the appeal? What why why am I going to take a safety in the top five that I I I'm going to probably have to play like in a you know too high or something like that? Right. Where you can find guys like that. Like there's the opportunity cost is not great anymore. Um, but so he, you know he he is an interesting guy. I do think, and this is a question I wanted to ask when you're watching. When you were watching a corner or a defensive back or a defender in general, like with Kyle Hamilton, one thing that really stuck out to me was he looked very instinctual. instinctual. Like he looked like he is a guy that is always around the ball. Um, his read and react seemed pretty pretty quick. Um, his ability to kind of see what's happening in front of him and be able to diagnose and ID route concepts seemed very good. And you look at guys that have been really good at that in the NFL, like Ed Reed was a four, a low four five guy. Marcus Williams, who just got paid, is was a four six guy. Those are two guys that I think when you are kind of in that four five four six type range, you you better be, you know, you better be on your horse, getting to where you're supposed to be, and kind of seeing it a half second earlier, um, so you don't have to like make up for it with athleticism. But what I'm going to ask you is like when you watch guys. What are things that kind of check that box for you to kind of say like, hey, does this guy have the instincts to be able to play in the NFL and to still survive that way in the NFL? Real quick, I did want to ask you a question, and, and you kind of brought up Williams, right? And that that's a good comparison, a guy who has played very well at the NFL level. Where was he drafted? You're right. No, you're right. Absolutely. You know, and, yeah. and that's the thing there, right? Like the conversation surrounding Kyle Williams, I don't think it's that people think, hey, he just won't be good. It's just how well can you project is going to translate yeah. to the next level and then how high do you take that? So those are going to be the questions that people are going to be asking with him. But uh, can you repeat the question one more time? Just when you were watching guys on tape, like how what how do you check that box? Like to, for in your mind to say this guy oh, – this guy has the instincts to make it in the NFL and to survive that way, to keep making plays because he's instinctual. I think the instincts, that that's probably a little bit tougher to really get a, a read on. I like I watched Jaquan Brisker, 
And there were some plays where I'm like, man, that was really good how he anticipated that and he jumped that. But it wasn't like – it was like, okay, that's a good play, but are you going to be able to consistently do that? And with Kyle Hamilton, I'm pretty sure you can find reps where he did and where he didn't. So, like, I lean more on and, – and that's good to note that a guy has some, like, anticipation-type skills. But I lean more on, like, just pure coverage skills. Like, what, what does that look like? And, you know, against more difficult situations. And when I watch a guy like, and this is my safety one, like Lewis Seen, right? And some of the things that they asked him to do out in space and how difficult of a job it was and him to not panic in that vulnerable situation, get to a guy, get his head around, knock the ball away against top-tier talent, I value that a little bit more than just showing, oh, okay, well, this player was instinctual here because at the NFL level, again, everybody's instinctual. So when everybody's kind of on the same level for the most part, unless you're talking about Peyton Manning or something out there or Ed Reed or something, right? Like, But most people who aren't Ed Reed and Peyton Manning and playing at that high of a level mentally, uh, everyone is pretty much on the same plan with that. So then what separates you then? Wow, yeah, that's that's a lot to go there. So you mentioned Lewis Seen. I will I will ask the question about Lewis Seen because Jake Morley will talk for the next hour if I let <laughs> him talk about Lewis Seen. But just talking about him, you said that's your safety one in this class. So that is, I wouldn't call it unconventional, but I think the the consensus is that Kyle Hamilton is number one. So right. you talked a little bit about what separates him there, but what makes Lewis Seen safety one? Because I watched like him in the SEC title game against, you know, Jamison Williams and John Mechie, and then some of the stuff he did in space against those Bama receivers in the national title game. He's a really good player. Uh, he's a really good player. And that's just me personally, the way I like to do things. I like to watch who are the, who's the best team they played against. Yeah. And that's the game I watch first. So if it's a cornerback like Derek Stingley, I'm watching you against Jamison Williams, John Mechie, guys like that, for example. But just what separates scene from, you know, Jaquan Brisker, Jalen Pitry, Daxton Hill, Kyle Hamilton, those guys. What makes him number one? You know, I think first and foremost, it's the film, right? Like, what do you put on film? You talked about how he played against those big time like guys. And and I'm looking at it from the standpoint of, hey, if I'm a coach, if I put him in a, a situation that might not be as advantageous for him, can he still like bail me out? Right. Oh man, I put him in a bad situation. Can he bail me out? I think he has the ability the coverage skills and athletic ability to, to do that, right? So I value coverage skills a whole lot because today in the NFL, it's so wide open. If you are in the system, let's say Kyle Hamilton. I would love Kyle Hamilton in like a cover two, Lovey Smith type op, uh, defense where he's playing more of a two half and that's cool for him. Great. But me, what I prefer, just guys that, you know, I can teach somebody to play too high and be able to be rangy and those things. But a guy that has just pure coverage skills and can cover tight ends very well, no matter what type it is, cover receivers, no matter what type it is. And not saying you're going to do those type of things with Lewis seen all the time, but to show that versatility in his game and then the range that he has and not just, you know, in the passing game. I mean, to come from a too high on far side and dart down beeline to a guy and make a tackle like short of the sticks, just the pure speed in which he closes the aggressiveness that he plays with when he's, Going in to hit a guy, he, I mean, he's coming with bad intentions. Like there was one play where I saw him try to go head up with Brian Robinson, the running back out of Alabama, and he kind of got like knocked backwards for like a few yards. And I'm like, yeah, I like his mindset. And then he came back, and I'm thinking like, oh, this time he's just gonna go low. 
I know he came up high again. And I mean, he's either stupid or crazy, but <laughs> hopefully he's crazy. But this time he, I mean, he boom. And it was a stalemate. And I was just like, wow, this is a tough guy because he's not the biggest of players. So there were just enough things that jump out to me where it's like, man, love his film. And then when you couple how he tested on top of that, and you know how that athleticism, I, I could I could teach you some of the other things. Might not be able to teach you instincts. I think he has some of that as well, though. And I think that's you watch his tape and I think it was fun watching a lot of people, especially like on Twitter and in the community kind of like learn more about him because I think your first initial reaction with him is like, ah, uh, he, he's a guy that will run the alley and play with just legit, just hate in his heart. And he wants to hurt you. And like, he can't cover because those guys can't cover. But then you, you dive in a little bit deeper and you get the all 22 on him and you, you realize, yeah, you know what? There are probably 75% of the snaps in Georgia that my man doesn't really have to do much because that front seven was so dominant. But he <laughs> he is never not checked in to what he's doing. And he he doesn't get lulled to sleep on the back end. And then, like you talked about, with it's just like the pure coverage ability. I think when you really start, start looking at like, man, this guy can like flip his hips and run with people. You know, he can change directions like at an elite level. And it's like you said, not just in the passing game, but Packers fans are going to love the comparison. But he reminds me of, of like Nick Collins, the way he played the game on the back end for the Packers. Like you see a crossing route, and I love I love it when you you the safety's not in this in the frame, and you think the oh the receiver he's got eight ten yards, and then a guy comes flying in and will just chop him down short of the sticks. Like yeah. Nick Coll- Nick Collins was so good at that. So when That's how I praise, man, because Nick Collins, he was, I mean, he had like this two or three year span where it's like, he was a dude. One, yep. of, one of the best safeties in the league. I felt like every time I was watching the game, they cut to a play, you know, when they kind of go to a little, they'll show a highlight of someone scoring. And it was like Nick Collins every time. I'm like, man, what the hell is going on over there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was not. And that's why I say like Pat, and Nick Collins career was cut short. So like, I feel like we need a reincarnation of Nick Collins in Green Bay. And that might be Lewisine if they end up do ta- if they do take him. And I think if they do take him, they better take him at 22 or 28. Cause I think he's going to go higher um, than what people maybe even realize. Yeah. That'll be interesting to see just kind of the way that, that whole thing shakes out. Right. Cause we were talking about this the other day, how like, you know, defensive linemen, offensive linemen, they're going to get drafted higher than what, you know, your mock drafts say they're going to, you know, there'll be four or five that go in the first round instead of like the two or three that get mocked in a different spot like this. So while we're talking about safeties, one of the guys that kind of fits, you know, athletic thresholds, age, pedigree, an area that Gutekunst has liked to scout is Daxton Hill. Daxton Hill out of Michigan played slot corner. He played that deep safety a little bit. Uh, there are some projections that he could play outside corner, but he never really did that at Michigan. So I don't, think that's the greatest idea if some team tries to do that with him but just what are your thoughts on his skill set is one of the concerns is is he big enough if he's going to play in the slot in the box type area um is he big enough to do some stuff like that but what are your thoughts on his skill set and what he could bring to an nfl team i, I love daxon hill and he, again a lot of this could be preference but he fits kind of what i would want in my safety matter of fact he reminds me a ton of like jimmy ward or like tyra matthew now i'm not saying he's going to be those guys. But I'm just saying in the sense of like his play style, that's what it's reminiscent of. Uh, talking about somebody who's twitchy, pure man cover skills. He's somebody that definitely lines up in the slot more than anywhere else. Uh, has no issues running with vertically pushing routes. 
Uh, you can leave him out there kind of on an island. I feel like he has the ability to be able to play an outside corner too if he really wanted to. But physicality is there. I was watching one game, and he covered a slot fade, which was terrific. That's one of the harder routes to defend. I know the Green Bay Packers have taken advantage of it, playing against the 49ers uh, several times, running like Valdez Scantling uh, down, the, down there or, or Lazard or whatever. But he ran with the, with the slot receiver vertically. No issues, covered him. No help or anything. Great. And then he turns around. The quarterback takes off. And, I mean, you have this big 6'5 quarterback running right at him. Jackson Hill is not a big guy, right? And he barely even has enough, uh, like, room to be able to, like, run at a guy and go hit him. And he just turns, takes a few steps, and just takes the quarterback head on. And quarterbacks are big. That's one thing I think people think about uh, – quarterbacks like oh man you got ran over by a quarterback it's like dude these dudes are hella big they're usually like six four 230 pounds they're much 240 pounds they're much bigger than like your average defensive back and he's an even smaller defensive back and he just goes ahead boom crushes him picks him up flips him and taps him to the ground i was like oh i like this guy because what it told me was obviously like the physicality is there but just the mindset and where his head is at so a guy that is a little undersized and maybe looks like a cornerback but his play is out of, hey, you can play me anywhere. I'm going to be physical. I'm going to be aggressive. And I'm going to be, be able to make plays at every level of the field. Yeah, a lot going there. And I'm, I mean, I've got the Michigan bias. So of course, I really like him. And he was a five star recruit. So that's something they've really enjoyed. But yeah, the quarterback thing that you said is funny because I remember when I was a kid, I was reading a book about Brett Favre. And Frank Winters was telling him, like, he thought he was a linebacker when he came to camp because Favre was like 6'5 and, you know, or 6'4 and like 250. And he was just a bigger guy at that point. So, yeah, these guys aren't tiny, shifty little. I mean, like Lamar Jackson's skinny, but otherwise, like mostly, like Carson Wentz is massive. I'm just thinking of some of these. Trey Lance, Trey Lance, your guy there in San Francisco. That dude's built like a brick. I mean, that's just a bunch of big guys. So, Morley, I'm doing all the talking. Jump on in. No, I, you know, another guy that you talk about, Dax, and someone that I was a little bit disappointed in their athletic testing, uh, was Verona McKinley, the the kid out of Oregon. And he, he watching him on film, and maybe it's just something about the way those Oregon DBs play. Um, but I'm thinking, like, man, this is this is Javon Holland 2.0. Like, I think I love the way this guy plays the game. Um, I think he's a super smart player um, with, with how he plays and what they ask him to do. But then he came out and tested like cheats. So I don't know if he has the athletic ability. Um, but what I, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts just on him and – um, is he someone that that you have gotten to and, and how you felt about him? Yeah, you talked about somebody who, you know, can play with anticipation, and you mentioned it for Kyle Hamilton. I think Roman Kinley is that type of guy as well. And for a guy who is undersized, right, about 5'11", 192 pounds, but then he goes out there, he runs a 4'6", 5", that's not ideal. You don't want to see that put on paper. Uh, I think undersized and slower on paper is someone who's definitely going to get drafted a little bit later. But if I'm a team and I have like this – fifth or sixth round pick, and I have a – I don't want to say a need at safety, but it's like, you know what, I can add a player here. I think he's that type of guy, right? You, you, you talk to – the ball skills are there. Uh, anticipation, whether he's in the too high, he's able to read route concepts and break on routes. You know, he does a really good job making plays on the ball, getting the beat on what the quarterback is trying to do. You just might not want to play him out in space a whole lot where he's in more of a vulnerable position. But, you know, from what I understand about this guy, man, a guy who really loves game of football and he's going to study it 
and he's going to really watch, see what guys are doing. Uh, he's a guy who I, I would really like at some point day three. And that's exactly why I brought him up too, because I think when you look at like the Packers and they're looking for like a safety three type guy, someone that can come in and play 35% of snaps, someone that's maybe not re relied upon to be your starting safety, like in the fifth or fifth or sixth round, like I'm with you in lockstep on that, because I think he's a guy that is going to be a, a day three type kid and then gets to camp and a team's going to be like, damn, like this, this guy's, he's going to play. He's going to play a lot as a rookie because he just seems like he has that type of makeup as a guy that's like, man, he's, He's ready to play in the NFL, and he 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 shows you things on tape. They're like, I think he can survive in the NFL from an early from an early stage. If you know you want to put him in the slot, you want to have him as like a, a deep safety and like a two high or something like that. I think he's got some. He's obviously got some deficiencies, but I think he's got things that you can cover up. And if you're a team like the Packers, that you're like, hey, we have two high end starting safeties that we like a lot. Uh, maybe we whiffed. Maybe we not not whiffed, but maybe we missed out. On some of these guys, the 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 Daxton Hills, the Lewis Scenes, the the Briskers of the world, and maybe we still kind of want that type of guy, or the Jalen Petries even. We'll get to him in just a second, but uh, I think uh, McKinley is a kid that could really turn a lot of heads in that type of role for the Packers. Right, and you talk about having like that third safety on the field. You know, he's a guy that could do that as well, and maybe he's a guy you want to play a little bit more closer to the line of scrimmage. You know. Uh, not too far off, but if if you have two high safeties and you want to bring another guy in to play a certain area of the field where he's not really going to be tasked with running with guys vertically down the field, if you're worried about that, I think that's an area that can fit him as well. And that's the way they used Henry Black last year. It was kind of a side-to-side -side type of defender. They weren't asking him to run down mm -hmm. the field with guys. The problem was eventually uh, the Vikings put Justin Jefferson in the backfield and basically said, okay, here's our best receiver and there's your worst defender. And we're going to find out a way to keep these two guys matched up. And they yeah. torched him. And a lot of teams figured out a way to do that. San Francisco was trying to do that uh, throughout the course of the playoff game. So there's, there's a lot um, to look at there. I, I will say we'll get to this here uh, because Labo is our biggest fan and he'll kill me if I don't talk about Jalen Petrie. So tell me about him. What's his strongest point on the field. And is this somebody that you could see going, you know, early? All right, so Jalen Petrie, I have a buddy of mine that I was on the New York Jets with. And now he's he was a running back then, but now he's been a strength and conditioning guy. He was with South Carolina. He's with He was with Baylor, and now he's with the L.A. Rams. But this guy has tipped me off to players where he's like, Croc, get on this guy. He's, he's a baller. He's a player, I swear, and he'll send me stuff all the time about guys. First, it was Debo Samuel. Debo turned out to be a pretty good football player, right? I mean, he sends me this like before the season that these guys are having. And then it was J.C. Horn. He's like, Croc, everybody's talking about this big 6'4 corner we have. They're not talking about J.C. Horn. J.C. Horn's a guy. He's an alpha. He's been this guy. I mean, he just gives me a whole spill on him. And now he's saying Jalen Petrie. So if, if my guy says it, I believe it. Now, what I've seen from Jalen Petrie, definitely a guy who lines up closer to the line of scrimmage, almost like a nickel – uh, so that's kind of star, almost like a Minka Fitzpatrick role. He feels like a guy that you don't have to take off of the field. He's listed at the safety, and maybe he can do some, you know, too high, single high type stuff. But I love him around the line of scrimmage. Th this might sound like kind of a knock, but a guy that he reminds me a lot of, like, just in the sense of his usage, is um, uh, Jamal Adams. 
And it sounds like a knock. People like Jamal Adams. Like, I mean, again, I, I'm not saying Croc is like Jamal yeah. Adams is a really good football player. The problem is he was traded for two first round picks, and now people are like right. looking at him through that. It's like when a guy is a good basketball player and then he gets that max contract, and then you're like, man, that dude's trash. It's like, no, he's actually really good. It's just you're looking at him through the lens of his contract now, and right. the fact that he was traded for a ransom. Well, you know, a guy that is terrific around the line of scrimmage, you talk about playing with anticipation, and we talk about it with coverage, but what about a guy that can uh, sniff out plays underneath in the run game, uh, track down guys from the backside? I think he does all those things well. Talk about hips and things like that that he shows out there in kind of that nickel position. I think that looks really good, twitched up from that standpoint, looked good at the Senior Bowl. They had him all week lined up at different spots. Um, and put him in more conflict as a coverage guy than I think Baylor did, and I thought he passed the test there. Uh, Baylor has done a lot of – it looks like kind of this quarters match type. I don't even want to guess. I, I, I hate guessing schemes because I, I don't know and I'm not sure what they're told to do. But it looks like some kind of match to where he's going to play off. He's going to wall off a guy. If a guy is going to cross his face, he can flip his hips, run with it. If a guy is going to go out, he can kind of pass things out if they go vertical. So – I don't think they put a whole lot of responsibility on them from that standpoint, but I think a lot of things kind of being that quarterback in that area and doing a lot of things uh, against the run, the blitz him off the edge. I think he did all those things extremely well. I, I like him. I think there's more to him as well. Uh, you, you brought up Javon Holland out of Oregon, and he was a guy that played a lot in the nickel. And I don't think he did all the things that Petrie did, but I do th see Petrie being a guy who, hey, we play you here and we can do those things with you, but you know, we can also put you at too high and single high as well. I think you've described almost in essence what the Packers are looking for with that position. Like I said, it's a line of scrimmage player, plays side to side, sniffs out plays in the run game. You know, especially nowadays with something I saw the other day, it was a Rasul Douglas clip against the Rams. I don't know if you watched the game or you might remember the play, but he's one-on-one -on -one with Andrew Whitworth in space. And he like does that sneak under him move and chops the running back down kind of thing. Those yeah. types of plays, I mean, it's a small play, but it turns a – you know, a 35 yard gain into a three yard gain because you're the right. only guy that can make that tackle. So I think when you're talking about this overhang defender, third safety, nickel star, whatever term you want to use for this player, it's a player that does stuff like that. I think you just described that really well with guys like that. So we've talked about all the top guys who are some guys a little while well, we did talk about Vernon McKinley, but who are the guys, who are some guys a little bit later? Somebody mentioned since it is 420, I'll make the low-hanging joke, but his name was Smoke Monday, so I got to bring that name up. But who are some guys that are maybe later in the draft that Morley was saying like, hey, you know, Green Bay plugged an undrafted free agent in Henry Black at that position last year and said, run with it. Uh, before the plan at the beginning of the season was seventh-round pick Vernon Scott and saying, run with it. So who's somebody that maybe they could snag day three and just be like, hey, you're going to play 220 snaps and play a lot on special teams and away we go? Oh, man. Uh, Marquise Bale? Uh, safety out of Florida A&M, I believe. Yep. Big guy, 6'2", right, yeah. 212 pounds, ran extremely well. He's a long, very athletic guy, plays extremely well around the line of scrimmage, blowing plays up, uh, sideline to sideline speed is definitely there. Closing speed is there. Physicality is there. Uh, you know, he does have some coverage ability as well. Reminds me a ton of, like, Jaquiski Tart that plays for the 49ers. That type of guy, and you know, if you want someone that's going to come in and be an immediate impact player on special teams as well, he has all the ability from size, strength, speed, ability to be that as well. I, I like, I like him from what I've seen. Yeah, he's a nine nine five three relative athletic score. That dude's a freak athlete. Another another guy that I'd be interested to hear your take on too. We talk about freak athletes. Talk about guys that you're like, man, 
never really put it together in college. But when you make a, a safety in a lab, Bubba Bolden out of Miami is a guy that's like, man, he's got the length. He's got the speed. Uh, he's got good tape. He's got really bad tape as well. Um, but he, but he's a guy that's like, man, if he can figure, if, if he gets something or something clicks for him in the NFL, he's a guy that like on day three uh, could be, could be a good player. Could be a starting safety in the NFL. I haven't been able to get to him just yet. So uh, I, I know he's on my docket. There are a few guys I still have to get to at the safety position, about five more guys. And he's, he's one of them. Well, he's he's an interesting watch because there there will be plays where you're like, oh, OK. And then there's other plays that you get to say the same thing for the other reason. Um, but yeah, so he's a fun guy as well. So but it, but we're yeah. talking, you know, late round guys when when you get into the late rounds, it's like, man, we're going to bet either on do you do one thing really well that we, we are confident that you're going to be able to come in and do? Or do you have the athletic tools that we're basically going to take that lottery ticket and ticket and say, we're going to gamble on your athleticism and maybe whatever was going on in college, we're going to be able to fix that in the NFL. So he's a guy that'll be an interesting watch. We're running out of time. Eric Crocker here joined with Jacob Morley. I'm Jacob Westendorf here in the game on Wisconsin studios here on the gold zone. Crocky, I got, you are sponsored locked on locked on NFL draft. You can catch that every day, uh, but you are sponsored by bet online and bet online has the over under for safeties at two and a half. So real quick, before we hit to the end, just, one word answer over under is that in the first, in the first, round. first round. I'm sorry. In the first round. Yes. I just realized I didn't say that over under two and a half in the first round. Ooh, that's a good one. They always set these odds very well, but I'm going to go under. I said the third guy goes like early in the second round. Okay. So that would mean like, cause Hamilton is very, very likely. Yeah. And then it's one of like scene Hill. And then the other guy goes early day two is what you're saying. So that'll be interesting yeah. to watch my other question. It's not a draft safety, but I don't understand. Why is Tyran Matthew not signed yet? Uh, sometimes with these veterans, so there's a couple of reasons. One, the, the money that he's potentially asking for, he might be holding out for something, and teams might be willing to pay for pay that if they just if he just waits a little bit longer. Also, you have this whole thing with the uh, the comp picks. So if they wait to sign a, a, a guy after the draft, and the draft has something to do with it too. Teams will see, like, all right, do we have to go out and get Tyron Matthew? Are we able to get a guy that we're keying in free agency? I mean, uh, in the draft, if we can draft a guy, then we don't need Tyron Matthew, you know, Daxon Hill, right? But if we can't get Daxon Hill or someone with that similar skill set, then, all right, now we can wait and we can sign him as well. And then also the comp pick thing as well, because I think there's a certain date where uh, if you sign a free agent past a certain date, it doesn't count against the potential comp picks that you can get. So there's that, guys. You can catch those guys at the end. So that's interesting. It's just something to monitor, something to watch. He's Eric Crocker, Jacob Morley, Jacob Westerf. You can follow him on Twitter, at Eric underscore Crocker. Keep the pay Varney stuff coming through, guys. I appreciate that. We're one week away from draft day, so catch Crocker between now and then. Eric, I wish you the best of luck with your podcast. Appreciate you joining us like we do every single year. And I wish you the best of luck with this Debo Samuel thing. Trust me, it's not <laughs> fun, and it doesn't get any better. As somebody oh, who's learned man. from yeah. experience and the slander that is going to come for the 49ers as an entire organization should be fun for you to watch over the next couple of weeks. So enjoy that. I'll say this. It's great with the co- for the content, though. If you're a content creator, oh yeah, uh, yeah no complaints. I was telling somebody the other day last year we had all you know all the Roger stuff that like it went in doubt talk Roger stuff, and now this yeah. off season it's like 
I got nothing. Like, I mean, <laughs> as a fan, I'm thankful because it's like it's yeah. quiet. I don't have to deal with all that crap. But otherwise, yeah, I got I got nothing. I have no idea. But hey, hey if Rodgers and the Packers can sing Kumbaya and come back together, then damn it, so can San Francisco and Debo. Okay, there there right. may be a, there may be a light at the end of the tunnel. They don't have much time to figure it out, though. You got seven they, days because I'm assuming if you are going to move on from them, it's going to be before or during the draft, not after. So well, the, the Rogers, mean. the Rogers news came out on draft day, Crocker. We had three hours to figure it out. Right, so I keep, <laughs> wow, we we got to get going. I keep interrupting. Yeah, that's okay. We we got to roll. Appreciate you guys stopping in. We'll see you guys next week. It's our last show. It'll be on draft miss. Well, last show before the draft. It's on draft miss Eve. Check out the Green Bay Draft Guide. Check out everything on Locked On NFL Draft. Appreciate you guys for listening. See you next week. 